0: blog talk radio hello and welcome to the compulsive reader talks i'm magdalena ball and today's guest is jillian shednick author of abu dhabi days dubai nights jillian welcome thanks it's great to be here so before we begin chatting can i ask you please to open the show by reading a little from the book sure i'd like to read from the beginning
1: That first night in Abu Dhabi, I dreamed of a woman wearing a dazzling black headscarf, hurrying through a maze of clay-colored alleyways. She disappeared among the shadows cast by the domes of a nearby mosque, and then suddenly appeared behind me, the ends of her scarf fluttering in the wind. Before she could speak, a warbling voice rippled in the distance, bellowing from on high. The noise washed over us, filling the alleyways with its strange, impassioned plea. I watched the woman turn to face the shrouded sun and sink to her knees. As she prostrated in prayer, whispering words like an incantation, I felt myself being lifted far above her until I hovered under the waning moon. That voice, raw and beautiful, echoed through my whole body. I woke, but that ethereal sound didn't end. The sunrise call to prayer had slipped into my dream and awakened me to the reality of Abu Dhabi, my new life and the one I'd left behind. I opened my eyes to the drab hotel room with its rattling air conditioner and dark curtains and wished this new reality would dissolve before my eyes like drawings in sand. I shouldn't be here, I thought. This was a huge mistake. I got up, pushed the curtains aside, and studied the city at sunrise with its glass-paneled buildings and dusty yellow cranes. Months ago, I had read about this country in outdated guidebooks. I had marked pictures of oases and craggy mountains, roadside stalls selling carpets and camel blankets, Goats and donkeys crossing one-lane roads and the distant palaces of sheikhs. I had been so sure of my decision to move to this tiny country in the Middle East, so ready to leave home, yet ever since I'd stepped on the plane in Boston not even twenty-four hours before, I had been desperately trying to remind myself why I once found those images so appealing. Would I spend a whole year longing for my return? Before settling on Abu Dhabi, I would concoct a new plan to live abroad almost weekly a Fulbright Fellowship to Bosnia, reporting on women's issues in Zimbabwe, working for a language school in Krakow, teaching at a university in Istanbul, this desire to travel took hold during my last year of graduate school. When I noticed that it was taking me longer and longer to get out of bed each morning and awaken from the haze of half-sleep, I longed to be pulled and pushed to journey to places that seemed unknown and less traveled, whose names held some kind of mystery and magic to my ears. When international teaching websites began listing job postings from universities in the United Arab Emirates, I sent my CV to everyone in cities like Sharjah, Abu Dhabi, and Dubai. I had heard of Dubai before while working as a research assistant in London in 2002. From that office in dark and foggy Hammersmith, I pulled up pictures of paradise on my computer screen. Pristine beaches, lustrous palm trees, shimmering bodies lying on golden sand. Dubai that the rising metropolis bordering Saudi Arabia and the Persian Gulf was a luxury travel destination with all the trappings of Arabian life, Bedouins on camels, tents erected in the vast desert, palm fronds sagging with clusters of ripe dates, alongside gleaming residential towers, themed shopping malls, and international conglomerates. Yet no one else seemed to see the romance of the place, When I spoke of my plan to teach in the UAE, classmates and friends responded negatively. Aren't you worried you might teach a future terrorist? I was asked more than once. I was treated to lectures on the oppression of women in Arab cultures and told I would be forced to veil. Classmates brought up the stereotype of the dominant, possessive Arab male and joked about rich sultans demanding I become the third or fourth woman in their collection of wives. But in our divergent views, I found another reason to pursue teaching in the Middle East. My friends' prejudice and media-inspired fear was the opposite of my exotic imaginings. I wanted to find out what lay within that middle ground. A few weeks after sending my job applications, a private university in Abu Dhabi asked for an interview. While I was disappointed I hadn't heard from any Dubai universities, I couldn't deny that Abu Dhabi, the wealthier, oil-rich capital emirate, held similar appeal, Abu Dhabi. Here was another enigmatic name, a place where I could witness the great divides of Islam and the secular West, timeless desert and futuristic cities, local people, and foreign expatriates. When the HR manager emailed me a contract the day after our, inter- our interview, I signed immediately.
0: That mm. that passage really brings to mind um, one of the key themes in the book, at least for me, which is this notion of the preconceptions we bring to any particular situation and the way in which we begin to immerse in the reality of it you know the, the relationship between our dreams if you like and the lives that we live. Mm-hmm. Yes and I think with
1: that opening passage I'm I'm also thinking about the distance that I anticipate and also experience between my students and myself and some of the people that I meet there as well as the wish to continually try to connect with these people who I'm meeting and teaching
0: throughout my two years there. Mm. And the character arc, if you like, (laughs) of Jillian, the character, um, you know, very much overcomes that distance. And again, to me, that seemed to be one of the key themes that runs through the book, that breaking down that barrier. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, through all of my experiences, uh, that's what I was was trying to get at, that deeper experience of living there. There are so many, I believe, um, you know, travel memoirs where you can just kind of be on the surface, or at least a lot of writing about the UAE that is more journalistic, that can be so superficial. So I really wanted to try to convey those deeper experiences that you can very easily
0: have in these cities. Mm. So how did the book come together? At what point did you decide to turn these experiences into something concrete as a book?
1: Well, I'd always thought about it as I had gotten a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from West Virginia University before I left. So I did want to go somewhere with the idea to write about this place in some way. And then, when I arrived, as I write about i didn't uh I didn't meet my expectations. I didn't think I could really write about this place um perhaps there was nothing to write about, perhaps I couldn't make those connections that I thought I could and i was also quite caught up in a romantic relationship and it just wasn't on my mind for a while until um or and then it, you know it became you know more and more possible and then um certainly with my experience um volunteering at the city of hope shelter was the biggest catalyst to say okay i need to to leave this place and write about these experiences, particularly this one at City of Hope as the kind of pinnacle at the end to, to you know convey all of these experiences as the lead-up to what happened at City of Hope and then kind of go on from there. Mm.
0: Yes, and I, I mean, I like the way you've turned it into really a book about yourself, mm-hmm. but of course it, it becomes a broader book. It becomes a book about how all of us, in effect are strangers when we arrive and then we become part of the situation we're in. Mhm. Yeah, these connections still continue
1: when I returned to Dubai recently, um just seeing old friends and and also making new friends who I'm I'm now quite connected to as well. Um that that it it really, you know, shapes you in a way and and that these connections continue on uh even when you leave the place, you can always come back and and pick them up again.
0: Yeah, that's right. So Abu Dhabi and Dubai were so different from one another. And and yet, um the longer you were there, the more you saw correspondences between the two places and and the differences as well. Mhm. Um yes, you know, if you just
1: move to Abu Dhabi first, you think um you know, I really want to get to Dubai. It sounds so much more exciting and fun for a single uh woman uh, in particular. Um so that that was what I found why I wanted to to get to Dubai. Um, but then, yes, there are sort of similarities in terms of, of the culture that you find there. Um, but in Abu Dhabi, it's, it is much more conservative and there are a lot more local people who live there. Whereas in Dubai, there aren't as many that you would see on a day to day basis. So a lot of the Emiratis or the local people who, who live in, in Dubai have, um, moved outside of the, Kind of the center of the city where a lot of the expats are living, and now live a bit outside of it to kind of get away and and hang out in when well, I hang well shop and kind of do their um do their shopping in um in the malls more outside of the city than in the big malls that you would see on you know that you would read about like Dubai Mall, one of the biggest in the in the world. Um, one woman who I who I interviewed for my um, Ph.D. project when I met her there, said, oh, I never come here. I usually go to this other mall that's outside of the city because this mall is where uh, a lot of the expatriates go, and I'd rather kind of be in a quieter place. So you do find that divide and that distance more so in Dubai than Abu Dhabi. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, the the UAE itself seems to be very, um, very topical at the moment. There's so many things coming out set in Dubai or set in Abu Dhabi probably in Dubai more than in Abu Dhabi but uh, you know everywhere I look I see something about it
1: mm yeah that's great when I first left in 2006 for Abu Dhabi there was pretty much nothing there was just one travel memoir about a woman who it was basically about a family that she met in um in the emirate of Abu Dhabi about a local family so it wasn't about the cities or the the changes taking place so now it's really great to see that there is more writing about it because it is such a rich place and a rich topic for an expatriate to come in and to to be a part of and to write about.
0: Yes, and yet lots of contradictions too, which you do write about as well. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm. So one of the key realizations in the book was that you could have an impact through your writing, and that I guess that even though you were doing an MFA before you went there and, um, I guess writing was always in mind, um, you did come out of the experience thinking, you know, you would do something specifically related to this trip. Um, w- would you say Abu Dhabi Days and Dubai Nights is your bigger platform? Is this the book of stories you've written? Uh, yes,
1: I'm hoping that that is, is the case and that is the platform to get some of these stories out in a broader sense of, of uh, cultural understanding and not just believing what the media tells you about certain people in certain places and understanding that, um, you know, it's quite different if you go to or, if you know, in, if you hear about Saudi Arabia, Dubai is a lot different from there. If you hear about Lebanon, Dubai is a lot different from there as well. So not just to have this monolithic idea of what the Middle East is and certainly women's roles within the Middle East, um, you know, to understand those differences and those nuances as well as the work I'm doing now here at the University of Adelaide, being I'm in the Gender Studies Department, and um, being part of some of the courses where I'm the, the, uh, one of the tutors for this, for some of the courses there, um, just making students more aware um, and to you know encourage them to think more critically about what they hear internationally as well as within Australia, um, I think is also part of that larger idea of what you know coming out of what I learned from City of Hope or my experiences there at City Hall.
0: Yeah. So why did you feel you couldn't write the book in Dubai? I did. I needed some distance,
1: I think. I needed to be away from it as well. If I was going to quit my job, um, which I felt in order to write a whole book and concentrate on it, I would need to spend, um, you know, I would just need to focus on that only um, and not have a full-time job. So you can't just, or certainly I couldn't just stay in Dubai without a visa. You would have to... Or I guess I could, I mean, I wouldn't have any income and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't know how to live that way. Um, It would be quite a precarious existence and my housing was tied to my university. So I would just be like really also very difficult to do that. Um, And I would, you know, I found teaching so all consuming that I couldn't have, well, I mean, it would have at least taken me a lot longer to write this book. Um, if I had continued teaching at that pace that I was at the American University in Dubai. So logistically and for my own, uh, knowing my own writing process, I felt I needed to go back home and um, I lived with my mother in Phoenix, Arizona when she was living there as then my sister was there as well. So um, they were very generous and I stayed with them as I was um, writing this book. So that helped me a lot financially to just be able to focus on writing it.
0: Mm. So at what point did you decide you you needed to do more? You know, you wanted to do do more research.
1: Uh, For my Ph.D. now? Mm. Uh, I guess as I was writing the book and especially writing about the women's or my teaching um, the women on the female side of the building at Abu Dhabi University, I felt there was more to be. To to research about um, particularly women's issues, national women within the UAE, and then realizing that when I was in Dubai, I didn't really get the chance to talk to a lot of the women in the way that I did in Abu Dhabi, um, because teaching at the American University in Dubai, um, we had much less contact hours and there were a lot less. Uh, local students there, and the, the interaction was just less intimate than it was in Abu Dhabi, so I thought it would be really nice to talk to, to to do some research about um, the issues that some of the Emirati women are facing, particularly in Dubai, um, because you do hear that, or at least living there, you do hear that Emirati women, particularly in Dubai, have so many opportunities, they're so well-educated They have great careers. They're doing it all. They're taking over the men's positions. Um, You know, you hear that a lot, and that's really promoted in the local media and a lot of the government documents about the UAE. So I I wanted to learn more about that and how the women were feeling about that, if they felt that was very true, if there were, you know, some
0: setbacks that that weren't really talked about. Mm. And do you get over there much to, to keep in contact with the people you've met? I was just back
1: once recently, and it had almost been three years. So I left, and then three years later, I was able to return to do this research that I'm talking about for my PhD. So I was just there for five months, and I was able to interview 40 young Emiratis. Um, and there I did see a lot of my old friends from the book, and who did not in the book, but were um, still my friends. So, um, yeah, it was really great and amazing to be back, particularly after... The financial crisis because I left right um, right before and now uh, you know I returned and, and everyone was saying that things were getting a lot better now um, and that the people who stayed who who stayed in Abu Dhabi and Dubai the, those expatriates who didn't you know jump ship but who who felt committed to the place. Um, that, that made the place a lot more of a community rather than what it had been during the, the boom time where people were just, you know, flying in and out and mm-hmm. the locals were saying, you know, treating this place like a parking lot. Now I, they feel, particularly the Emiratis I spoke with, that there's a lot more of, of care and community going on within Abu Dhabi and Dubai.
0: Sure. So um, was it part of your concocted plans <laughs> to, to find a new place? And why Australia?
1: Oh, um, yeah, then I decided that I wanted to do this to do a project, and uh, as I described before, so. Um, I you know I was thinking about that and my sister told me about she had heard about the opportunities in Australian universities for international students and felt that I might be competitive because I wanted to go into social science for this research and having a creative writing masters wouldn't doesn't really help you in the US and I would need to then probably get another master's and then spend another, you know, seven years after that getting the PhD. So that just seemed like a very long time to spend, also in America. Whereas at that point, I had been back in America for two years, and I really did want to go somewhere else again. Um, uh, so I was looking to both leave the country and some. Not not that I don't like like America. I just was you know feeling that um travel bug again wanting to to live abroad again and have a have a different experience, so I was looking at teaching abroad again or finding an international um educational opportunity for myself so then I applied then I researched all of the Australian universities and found that Adelaide University was the best fit for me and got one of those scholarships my sister told me about, so it worked out really well mm,
0: wonderful and do you do you find as a an expatriate and uh you know, living in one place, writing about another and, and you know, being from a, a different place mm-hmm. altogether, mm-hmm. that it gives you a kind of perspective that you see things with a, maybe different eyes than somebody who, you know, was either from the UAE or from Australia would be writing about these topics in this situation. Hmm.
1: I guess so. I think just having my writerly tendency of stepping back and observing things and not like feeling... So much of a participant in things but often just stepping back and being more of a an observer i think also helps in in many situations um where i, I feel that you know i can i can be the one to kind of comment on things in a, in a particular way because that is my standpoint um, but it is odd a lot of people ask me oh you came to australia to write about the uae and you're american so you know it is hard to kind of Connect all of those dots, but for me, this is like the be- this was the best fit for me with my supervisors who um you know so it's it's working out really well even despite how perhaps strange it might seem to to be doing all of these things in in a new place writing about somewhere else,
0: yes, though so I suppose that you know the whole notion of being i mean the u a e is also filled with a you know a lot of migrants as well so um mm-hmm. short term um, but nevertheless, you know, bringing in that perspective of the outsider sounds to me like it's something that's actually quite positive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I was back there interviewing the Emiratis, the young Emiratis, they were very excited to speak with me. And it wasn't as though, oh, this American woman has come here to find out about us, um you know they were so welcoming and open, and saying they were you know honored to speak with me, and would take me out for coffee or take me out for lunch. So it is they are, uh, especially the local population, very welcoming to foreigners, and they don't have that reputation because they're also kind of private, which is like part of the contradictions that that you were talking about before that that arise within the UAE. Um, you know, one of their cultural. Um, you know, one of the the most important things about their culture is that hospitality and that generosity to foreigners. And yet the, there is that distance as well where, you know, they, they seem, they come across as, as rather private and exclusive also. So I guess it is about breaking that barrier. And once you do, once, you know, I was contacting them through email or meeting them at events, um, you know, once I did that, it just opened so many doors, um and it then the welcoming was able to happen
0: yes and and breaking down that fear too, I mean one of the more poignant moments for me in the book is that you know you begin you almost open the book with this this fear, um particularly for the veiled, you know you can't see the eyes or you can't see the face mm-hmm. you know there there is that fear of how will i how will I make this connection with somebody who you know seems on, on a superficial level at least to be cut off from me. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It is. You know, I I understand that it is off-putting, standing there teaching women who are all covered, I think, except in that first um, time I ever taught the first classroom, only one woman was showing her hair and everyone else was, you know, had had some kind of headscarf on, if not the full black cloak called the abaya and the black um, headscarf called the shayla. So me being there as, you know, showing my hair, maybe showing a bit of my arms, you know, seeming so exposed all of a sudden, whereas I wouldn't think of myself as being exposed, wearing, you know, long pants and, and a top and a cardigan, but to to be in front of these women, feeling actually that I was exposing myself. So, um, so it, it was a strange feeling, but knowing that they understand that and that I'm not expected to wear a headscarf or dress as they do, that they very much were just, Um, you know, happy that I was there to teach them as someone with, you know, good experience as an English speaker and as a teacher. um, And that I, you know, that that, uh, with time, certainly they could see that I was compassionate and cared about them. And that was all that really was important to them in the end, not, you know, what I was wearing.
0: Mm. And and that's very interesting that you talk about that feeling of being exposed as well. And I suppose, Um, the memoir, the the whole notion of a memoir form, you know, furthers that exposure, that effectively you're then exposing your experiences and, you know, even some rather personal ones um, to the world. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And when it came
1: out, I was, you know, just like, oh, I can't believe I've written all this and everyone's going to read it. But as I was writing it, you know, that was just the furthest thing from my mind. It was just um, thinking about the audience as, uh, strangely, myself, like, as if what kind of book would I want to read? What would I find enjoyable? Um, And that was what I was trying to write. So, you know, in that sense, just trying to write it, you know, for this very particular audience of what I would want to read. And then now, or recently when it came out, thinking, oh, wow, people are really going to read this and and know that much about me um, was a bit um, scary, but uh, it has turned out okay and has good reception.
0: Do you see the Jillian in the book as being a bit of a character? Some somebody a little separate from you? I mean she is constructed of course. Mhm.
1: Yeah, somewhat is it constructed and I certainly didn't get into, you know, every little bit of my psyche and and some of the times when, you know, I felt uncertain, uh, you know, uh, and just bored in Abu Dhabi, let's say. Um, but for the most part I do read it and and, and remember what it was like, what that feeling was like, the parts that I write that are so emotionally impactful um for me at least um you know i I do read it and think, yeah that that is you know, and it's so nice to have this record of what I thought and what I experienced and and to to be able to read through those emotions again that you know I would really very easily forget at this point, or you know it would take me a little while or a reason to go back to. To get to those memories, whereas it's right here in this book is really, um, you know, a nice thing for me at any rate. Yes,
0: a good, good record. Mm-hmm. So um, your research is obviously it's it's much more objective and about other people's stories so mm-hmm. talk to me a bit more about that.
1: Um, I was interviewing 40 young Emirati artists about what they were expressing about their national identity and about, um, like, the expatriate relationships going on in the UAE, as the Emirati population is about, at least in Dubai, is uh, a 12% minority, so a very tiny local population, so kind of what... What they feel they need to be expressing about national identity and about their culture in order to have a voice in their home country. Um, I was interested in that, as well as what I spoke about earlier about how some of the women feel, what they might be expressing in their art, and how they um, just respond to the local media and government push of, you know, Emirati women being the very um, empowered and also being traditional, like being able to maintain those two things at the same time. I wanted to see uh, what the, how the women felt about that. Mm. And do you see that um, as resulting
0: in another book?
1: Um, certainly my dissertation. I'm not sure how it would work. I, I toy with the idea of making it into a book, but again, as you said, not having that personal story. I'm not sure how to make it, as I'm not a journalist, so I'm not sure of the tone that I would need to strike in order to make this a compelling commercial book, as I'm so, um, you know, thinking about theoretical ideas right now to tie together the dissertation. I'm not sure how to disentangle that to make it more appealing to just a regular reader, or again, thinking of myself as just the regular reader, um, what what I would want to pick up and read. So I'm I'm toying with that idea um, on what to do next as well. I'm also... Planning on writing a novel next, certainly. So that's
0: wow. in my mind as well. Yes, and I suppose your your fans will be, you know, interested in the next in the next chapter as well. you mm-hmm. put out something, I, I imagine that people there'll be pressure to do another uh, memoir part two. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> I hope
1: I have enough interesting stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. So tell me about the city of Hope. Well, what what's um are, are you staying on top of that? Um, yes,
1: Sharla, uh, I've been in touch with her. She had to leave the country as um, just before I was leaving, actually, and for fear of being arrested. So then she uh, was, in effect, exiled um, until this point, and she's living in Washington State where she began her own... Um, NGO there called United Hope which works with the UAE and Ethiopia and is um, similar uh, the same issues with um, Domestic abuse and trafficking to educate people about that and help those people there So she had some people on the ground in Dubai who she was in contact with to help women but a year after she left City of Hope the shelter in Dubai uh, had to shut down. Without her being there, there was no real, um, you know, center where she was getting enough donations to keep it running. So mm-hmm. that was unfortunate, and she doesn't really know um, what happened to a lot of the women who were who were still living there at that time. Um, but, I, yeah, she, she's still, as ever, an activist and very, um, you know, energized about doing all of this work that she's been doing within Ethiopia. And she was also about to do some work in Libya as well.
0: Mm. And that was quite a turning point for you when you were over there, wasn't it? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know these stories are out there, and this is happening to women all around the world. I don't mean to say that, you know, it's only happening in Dubai. But for me to experience this, it was the first time that I'd I'd seen such, um, you know, such lies being told from the local media, accusing some of the women who I knew and who I met there of doing such awful things that it really, you know, it hurt me so much to to read that and then to go and meet these women who just who were so trapped there who felt so stuck and then expected or, or were hoping that I could do something to help them um and how powerless i also felt to do anything about it um i remember one time calling up one of the or one of the women asked me to to speak to the local newspaper for her and, you know, and tell her, her, tell them her story. And they were like, well, it's, you know, it's her word against, you know, these other people who are accusing her of, you know, abusing her daughter. And, you know, who am I to believe? I don't even know who you are. I can't believe you either. And I'm like, she's telling the truth, but that's all I could say. So just mm-hmm. feeling so powerless and seeing these women who are powerless um, you know, really affected me, and the only weapon I felt I had was to be able to write about it. As I say in the book, I'm not someone who's so very bold uh, like Charlotte Musabi is, and I admire her very much for that. But it isn't one of my own strengths that I would feel, you know, uh, successful at, at doing what she's doing. So mm.
0: writing is all I had. That that's obviously another reason why you felt you couldn't write the story while you were there, either. Mm-hmm
1: yeah to then watch it um you know crumble without Charlotte there would also be um something that would be very upsetting and also see even more so how powerless I would be to to help this to help these women
0: mm, absolutely well um, we're almost out of time, so uh if you could just um let the listeners know where they can go to find out more about you, your website.
1: Uh, yeah, my website is JillianShednak.com, and um, the book is online worldwide as an ebook and available and, and should be available in, in all bookstores
0: within Australia. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Great. It was great to talk to you. Thanks. Yep, and don't forget to join us next month when we interview another author. Bye for now.